What a precious privilege we have enjoyed over the past six weeks in taking some time to be able to study from the great prophet Amos. This morning's lesson will be a conclusion of that study. We will look at chapters 7, 8, and 9 as we conclude our study with regards to Amos. I've entitled this lesson, A Conspiracy. That is taken from verse 10 of chapter 7. And by way of introduction, several years ago, a person here in this congregation, and I'm not going to mention his name because he might have forgotten it, he asked the question, he says, do preachers conspire to make people miserable? And I thought perhaps at the time he was talking about how long we tend to preach. But then he said, they condemn all the fun stuff. Everything that a person might enjoy. And then I thought about what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 11 about uh, Moses. How that he forsook Egypt and that he chose to be a servant of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Preachers do condemn sin. And they do condemn things that many people consider to be fun and enjoyable. They also meddle in people's lives. The preacher preaches on things that I am doing. It's all right to preach about what somebody else is doing somewhere off, and but he keeps getting personal. Now, what motivates preachers? Well, if they are godly men, if they are faithful gospel preachers, do they enjoy putting guilt trips on people? Do we get up every Sunday morning and say, Aha, my... My job now this morning is to go make these people miserable, to put some sort of real guilt trip on them as if we're some sort of sadistic people who enjoy making other people miserable. Or is it the case that we're seeking to please God? When Paul wrote the Galatians, he had to deliver a message which was personal, which dealt with things that were going on in their time and among those people. And he asked a question in Galatians 1 and verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I still seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, the reality is, is that those who serve God in teaching His will, whether it be a prophet of the Old Testament, whether it be a New Testament man, or it be one of us who are preaching the message, we still have to be loyal and faithful to God. And we have to make sure that we please God first and man second. Amos was viewed as a meddler and a troubler among the people of the north. He was a prophet from Tekoa, a little small village from the south. And yet God had chosen him to go to the city of Bethel to cry out against Jeroboam and against the abuses of that northern kingdom. I want you to reflect with me again for just a few moments back to the passage from chapter 7. 
I'm going to begin with verse 12, and then I'm going to go through verse 17. And I want you to look with me there. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a survey line. You shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. That's not really a very joyful message, if you will, for one who is trying to please people, but he's not trying to please people, he's trying to please God. So this morning, we want to look at three things from chapters 7, 8, and 9. The first one will be visions of judgment. And I would suggest to you, if you listen to it, you will see a real man of God in the book of Amos through these visions of judgment. Number two will be a voice of concern. Amos is going to express concern for these people, and hopefully they can see it. And then number three, the value of listening to God's message. Let's begin, first of all, with this vision of judgment. If you keep your Bible open, you will notice that as we go through chapters 7 and 8, and then in the first part of chapter 9, that Amos is going to deliver, or be delivered to him, five visions. He's going to see things. God's going to give him, as it were, like a dream in the daytime to see something happening to Israel, and he's going to respond to that. The first one, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7, is that of a locust invasion. Read along with me as we read here. Thus the Lord God showed me, Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that the Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be says the Lord. I want you to imagine, here in your mind, just visualize as if you can see, there's first of all been this first fruits gathered. That's the king's mowing. Then after that comes the mass of harvest. If you're going to gather corn, the king goes through and he gets his premium corn from it. But now is this later uh, harvest and before they do that, here comes a swarm of locusts. Everything in the field is eaten. There's nothing left. 
How does Amos respond to that? Lord, forgive this people, I pray. Don't do this to them. They're small. They can't handle it. So God said, because of the intercession of Amos, I won't do it. I'll relent. Notice with me the second one, verses 4 through 6, fire. Thus the Lord God showed to me, behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. All that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. You know, today fire can be such a great destroyer. In fact, many people have lost their homes due to fire. And what is sad is when you get into an apartment building or a large building and a fire begins and it spreads from apartment to apartment, building to building. But you see, in our modern day, we have fire trucks, we have fire hydrants, we have men whose job it is to go and extinguish fires. In biblical times, if a fire broke out in a field, it would consume this field, the next field, and it really just burned itself out. If it got into a city where there were houses, those roofs and those consumable parts would burn. Can you imagine a consuming fire like this? And again, Amos says, Lord, please don't do this to this people. Jacob is small. And God said, okay, I won't do this either. There was a third and that of a plumb line. Look with me at verses 7 through 9. Thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. The Lord said to me, or then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. There's a difference here. This time Amos does not plead. God allows Amos to see why this has to be done. He uses a plumb line. Now, some of you younger people probably have no idea what a plumb line is. But you take a heavy weight and you put it on a string and you hold it and that string will be perfectly straight. That's the way they used to measure walls so that walls would be straight. And they'd hold a plumb bob next to it, a plumb line, and they would measure and that's the way. And if a wall was not perfectly straight this direction, vertically, it was subject to falling. God has put a plumb line next to his people. And they're crooked. There's problems with them. And God says, what I'm going to do, I am going to take these high places, make them desolate. I'm going to get rid of everything. The sanctuaries will be laid waste. It's like God is destroying a building that is very poorly built. 
Israel deserves to be destroyed. Those were three of the visions that God allowed Amos to see before the statement of Amaziah. Now, after the statement of Amaziah, there's going to be two more. Let's look at those very briefly. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. A basket of summer fruit. I want you to imagine, again, this is a vision that I've got a basket up here. And in that basket are all kinds of fruit. Maybe some bananas. Maybe some oranges. A few apples. But it's summer fruit. It's not spring fruit. This is at the end of the season. There will be no more fresh fruit. When this fruit is gone, there will be no more. It's summer fruit. God said the end is near for Israel. I'm not going to pass by anymore. There's not going to be any more evaluations. There will be no more looking at these people. He says what will happen is the songs that are being sung in the temple will now be wailings, sadness, and grief. And what you're going to see is dead bodies everywhere. Wow, what a disturbing vision that was. And then the fifth vision found in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. I saw the Lord standing by the altar. And he said, Strike the doorpost that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away. And he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. Though they have gone in captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it shall slay them. I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. I want you to imagine again now the fifth vision that Amos has put before us. Even our construction today in your own homes, there are studs that stand up that hold a header that goes across a door. Those are the doorposts. And the cross, what we call a header today, is a lintel, it's a beam, it supports the weight that's above it. And God said, I want you to knock the doorpost out. I want you to let it fall on their heads. God said that it's got to be destroyed. But he doesn't say it just has to be destroyed. He said, they're going to try to run away from me. And they're not going to get away. 
He talks about them trying to dig down toward hell. And he said, that's not going to work. I'll find them there. They're going to try to climb toward heaven. And he said, that's not going to work either. He used the illustration in verses 3 and 4, that of Mount Carmel, the highest peak up there, or going to the bottom of the sea, most likely the Sea of Galilee. He says, I'm going to command the serpent to find them there. Even when they go into captivity, I'm going to go after them there. Now those five visions of judgment were sad. But now I want to point out to you, Amos, as a prophet and as a preacher, cared about these people. He cared about what happened to them. You say, no, no, he's delivering all these mean, stern, harsh lessons. He's simply telling them what God told him to say. Notice with me again, verse 2. O Lord, forgive, I pray. Verse 5. O Lord God, cease, I pray. He is interceding because he cares about the people to whom he preaches. It's not as if he's like, all right, God's going to get these people and I'm taking pleasure in it. That's not it at all. He's interceding for these people. Now, just very briefly, I don't want to belabor this point, but let me point out to you, Abraham did that. Do you remember when the angels came to him and it was told that the cities of the plain are going to be destroyed? That disturbed Abraham greatly. And so he begins a negotiation, if you will, for the people. In Genesis 18, 23 through 25, and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the wicked should be at, or the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then he says, well, what if there were five less, 45? What about if there were 10 less, if there were 40, 30, 20, 10? You know what? There weren't even 10 righteous souls in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, there were four who were called out. Only three got out, Saul and his two daughters. His wife turned and looked back. But you see, Abraham cared about what happened to his people. But you know, Moses did the same thing in Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. He said to God, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you've forgiven your people from Egypt even until now. God, please continue to show your mercy. Real people who see in God's will and his word what will happen are people who have to deliver a vision of judgment. If I could do the best job that I could do, I could paint a picture for you of what it's like after this life is over for the wicked. Where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's going to be no exit from a place called hell. Let's talk about a voice of concern now. Amos' message was not appreciated. You remember how Amaziah responded? Now, who was Amaziah? And why did he talk like he did? 
Lamaziah was an idolatrous priest. He was chosen by King Jeroboam, the ruler of the northern kingdom, to be one of his priests. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 33 says, And after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever he wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. The high places were where they worshipped the idols that Jeroboam had set up. So he's an idolatrous priest. He evidently was a hireling. He was hired to say whatever Jeroboam wanted said. You know, in our country today, we have spokesmen. And what they do, they come before the media and before the public and say, this is what our administration says. And what they say is maybe not necessarily is what they agree with or what they believe is true. They're saying what the administration tells them to say. Amaziah is a hireling for King Jeroboam. He evidently thought Amos was a hireling as well. Because he says, you go back to Judah and there you eat bread and there you prophesy. Eat bread. You make your money down there. Don't make your money up here with us. We're serving Jeroboam. You go back down there. But you see, the truth is, Amos was not in it for the money. Amos was not in it for any other reason than God sent him there to express a voice of concern. You see, as Amaziah heard what Amos was saying, he tries to tell Jeroboam, we've got to get rid of this guy. He has conspired against you. As if he has somehow got a conspiracy against the north. The land is not able to bear all of his words. We can't keep letting this guy say this. It's going to hurt things. It's going to destroy the morale of the people. Not a very positive message in verse 11. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. We don't want to hear that message. Now put yourself in the northern kingdom at the time of Jeroboam. There was peace, there was prosperity, there was military success, the people were content, they were happy, and the message was... Don't let him mess it up. Everybody's content. Everybody's glad the way things are going. Now let's don't mess things up. Amos, you are saying something that can mess things up. Yeah. But I'm not saying it for any other reason than I'm concerned for the direction you're going. Very quickly, let me take the third aspect of this, and that is to talk about the value of listening. God sent Amos to try to change this people, and if they wouldn't change, to tell them what was going to happen. The message of Amos was to hear the word of the Lord, but they said, we don't want to hear it. Okay? What's going to happen to that? If you will, notice with me chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. 
not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. You see, the people had said, we don't want what you are bringing. Go back to Judah. And God says, okay, you don't want it, you don't get it. A famine was something very serious in their day. You know, in our day where we stockpile and store and preserve foods of all kinds, we really in our country don't even know what a famine is. But see, a drought could come, and you make no crop, and food becomes scarce, and there's little to eat. You could have a locust invasion, as God had envisioned back in the early part of chapter 7, and all the food is eaten up, or the fire. And then there will be a famine that comes. But God said, I'm not talking about a famine of bread or famine of water. He says, I'm talking about a famine of of the words of the Lord. And you're not you're going to want it, but you can't find it. Saul learned that lesson all too well. You see, early in the reign of Saul, Samuel was right there with him. Samuel stood by Saul and said, Saul, if you'll do what's right, God will be with you. If you don't, it's going to be a problem. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Do you know what followed from that? When Saul rejected God's word, God said, okay, you don't want it, you won't get it. All through Saul's reign, problem after problem after problem, torment after torment. And when you get to the end of Saul's reign, he is exasperated about what he's going to do. And in 1 Samuel 28, verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. You don't want it. Okay, you don't get it. How many people? Now, folks, I'm being direct here. How many people have avoided church services, Bible study, gospel meetings, Vacation Bible schools, you name it. Opportunities for edification, only to realize the penalty they must pay later. Folks, let me tell you the truth. Some of you have some precious little children, and you're not keeping them in Bible classes. 10, 15 years from now, these kids are going to get involved in things they ought not get into. And then you're going to pull your hair out and you're going to say, what happened? I want to tell you what happened. You rejected the word of the Lord in their lives and now you are reaping the consequences of it. I don't say that with pleasure. I say that with concern. We've got to realize the Importance, the value of listening to God's Word. Are preachers conspirators? Yes, they are. 
Who are they conspirators with? I want you to notice what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and chapter 6 and verse 1 says. Now then, as we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Chapter 6 and verse 1. We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, I'm not an ambassador, as Paul described in 2 Corinthians 5. But I am a preacher. And we do work for God and with God in delivering His message, not our message. Paul asked the question in Galatians 4 and verse 16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Am I, am I somehow now against you because I am trying to warn you, encourage you, and help you? Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What would you rather have? Someone tell you the truth? even though it may hurt? Or would you rather someone pat you on the back and say everything's okay and let you stay on the pathway that causes you to lose your soul? Amos had a powerful message. As best we know, they rejected it. And because of their rejection, they lost their lives, their lands, and their souls. You don't have to lose yours. We have those here today who are not Christians. I know some of you maybe have thought about it, you pondered it. Folks, I'm trying to be your friend to tell you, if you don't obey the gospel, you will lose your soul. That's, that's going to be something greater than you can bear. Day of judgment. What do you say to God? I guess I just put it off one day too long. If there's any way that I could be able to get to your hearts and your minds and to say, I've got to do this today. You come forward, we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. And it may be that you're a child of God and you've been looking at your life and you've been... You've seen some of the responses of other people and you said, I know I need to do it too, but I guess I've just put it off too long. If there's any way I could persuade you, would you come while together we stand and sing?